All right, welcome to Outdoors. I'm Brian, and today we're trying something a little different. I'm here with Jacob Zimmerer, and we are at the Sourdough Trail I'm at the Tuckerman Park, and the stream is raging, and we're just going to take a little walk through the woods. Jacob, I met a few weeks ago. He did a foraging for indigenous plants walk over at the uh, College M Trail, and a lot of fascinating stuff. So I thought we'd take a little walk and, and talk about uh, foraging for plants. So, Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be on the podcast. I uh, grew up in Northeast Ohio. I uh, moved to Colorado when I was in high school and then came up to Bozeman, Montana for my undergraduate degree, which was in environmental sciences. During that undergrad, I, you know, studied plants from a botanical uh Western scientific perspective quite a bit. And I kind of felt this uh, little bit of disconnect in the way that I was uh, learning about the plants because I knew there was this long human relationship with a lot of these plants that goes back thousands and thousands of years here and was really interested in indigenous food systems here and also was thinking a lot just about contemporary environmental issues. I started learning these plants and learning about their edible and medicinal qualities, took a native food systems course at Montana State University. And then I ended up going into uh, my master's degree, which was in Native American studies at Montana State, and also just you know deepening my relationship to the land through those plants. We're here walking through Tuckerman Park, and on the M hike, you found all sorts of things that we might not notice <laughs> that are ed edible and forageable plants. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of things to look for and what sort of things had been used uh, traditionally in this area for edible foods? I guess the first point I usually try to make on my plant walks is that uh, food is literally all around you. And, you know, a lot of our, a lot of us, including myself, have grown up in a world where we're told food is just from the grocery store or maybe the farmer's market. Uh, but that's really not the, been the case throughout most of human history. And I think it's a pretty eye-opening experience to start seeing these foods and medicines uh, all around us. And, um, I first, I guess, you know, these plants around here, we're on, you know, Blackfeet land here primarily. Um, and so Blackfeet people have been using indigenous plants here for, like I said, thousands of years and have a really deep reciprocal relationship with them. And so when I'm out in the woods, you know, I'm also oftentimes, you know, thinking about that relationship and, you know, the way that indigenous people still are, you know, maintaining those relationships, seeing, you know, starry fall salmon seal, some dandelion that's gone to flower, some choke cherry that went to flower already and is starting to get some little fruits on it. Um, Western meadow rue, you know, there's all sorts of plants through here. So yeah, when you start to spend some time, you know, really out in the woods, on the land and not just moving through those landscapes, but really you know, paying close attention to all these other living beings that are around you, you start to learn their names, which I think is a great first step. And on my plant walks, that's a, a big takeaway. I'd like, you know, people just to start having some more familiarity. But then, you know, you start moving towards tasting some of these plants that are, you know, have co-evolved alongside human beings. And that's a whole other, you know, level of getting to know them. So you, you mentioned quite a handful of things that I had noticed <laughs> that are growing all, all around us. What are some of the different preparations that were traditionally used to make these edible? 
know, depending on the different plant species, like you're saying, Brian, like you requires different preparations. And that's just one element of, you know, having a connection to these plants is, you know, learning how do I prepare them. And so it really is, you know, learning on a plant by plant basis and seeing what works and what doesn't and learning from people who know, you know, there's so many great resources out there. Um, but like stinging nettle, for instance, one way that I really love to prepare that, and that's kind of a, can be slightly finicky because it does have, you know, the stinging hairs. Um, so oftentimes, you know, growing up, I was always told to stay away from the nettles and now I'm trying to run into them. So, uh, <laughs> so with the stinging hairs, you know, oftentimes people will harvest stinging nettles with gloves on. Um, totally an option. I tend not to. Um, depends on how much I'm planning to gather at a time. Um, but if you're harvesting with gloves and you're careful, you put them in a bag. And once you bring them back home, if nettles are dehydrated or dried in the sun, um, those those hairs become deactivated. Um, so you can carefully, you know, or safely handle them. Uh, a thing that I like to do a lot though is just, you know, throwing them in a stir fry. And as soon as they get that heat, uh, those hairs break down. You can also blanch them. And then one of my favorite preparations is to blanch and then uh, put them in a blender and make a puree. And you can toss that puree into like a pasta dough, fresh pasta dough, makes it a beautiful green color and just infuses that pasta with all sorts of uh, amazing uh, nutrients and healing uh, medicine from those plants. And, and some of the plants you're talking about, you actually like to use them for flavor and for garnishes, like shooting stars, for example. It's uh, one of my favorites for garnishes. And, you know, there's a common misperception. I was actually seeing some people talk about this on a Facebook forum. Um, when you pick the flower of a plant, um, especially a perennial like shooting star or um, glacier lily is another good example, camas, um, people oftentimes have the misconception that that's killing the plant. And so it's the reproductive structure of the plant. And by picking the flower, you are stopping it from going to seed for that year. Um, but traditionally, um, and still to this day, you know, one of the tending practices of native people in this area was to go into certain patches and thoughtfully harvest just the flower tops of certain plants so that the rest of the year, the plant starts to direct its energy from photosynthesis back to the root structure so that the following year the root structure is actually bigger. So with something like shooting star, if I come through and harvest, you know, thoughtfully harvest some of the flowers to use as a garnish, they have a really awesome smoky flavor. The next year those root structures are actually going to just grow bigger. There's ways to tend these plants that, you know, people have been doing for a long time. And we know that not all plants are edible and some are poisonous and dangerous, <laughs> especially different funguses and, and mushrooms, sort of things like that. How do you advise people to advance their, their knowledge on what to look for, what things to be careful of? And um, also, what is it about a plant poison that actually causes the physical damage? One of the best ways to start thinking about foraging is, is really to learn the plants that you shouldn't eat. Um, here in Montana, we do have a handful of plants that are not food for humans. Uh, you know, water hemlock is one that comes to mind, death camas, poison hemlock. There's a decent number, but really, if you start to learn those plants and pay attention to their characteristics, you know, what family are they in? What plants that are edible look similar to these poisonous plants? You can start to really understand their characteristics. We're actually walking past some poison hemlock right now on the, the side. Uh, you know, they've got 
purple splotches on the stem, classic carrot-like leaves. So you start to learn some of their characteristics and then you can decipher them from the plants that are edible. So other stuff in the carrot family can somewhat look like poison hemlock. As far as the compounds go, that just depends on the plant as well. You know, there's alkaloids in a plant like hound's tongue, which is a non-native plant that we have here, and that can be really damaging in high quantities. Then there's plants like violets, you know, that have some level of saponin, which is a compound that's also found in something like spinach. And, you know, we don't really worry about saponin when we're eating spinach at home. But, you know, online forums, when they're talking about violets, will be careful to warn people that there's saponin in the violets. And so unless you're dining on a giant uh, soup made just of violet, a lot of it is just that kind of learning and discerning. What do I need to be worried about and what do I not need to be quite as worried about? Where should people that are really curious about trying to learn about more about foraging, where do they start? There's so many great books and resources. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's about spending time with these plants. You know, they're other living beings that have a lot of lessons to teach, not just from a food perspective, but also just about what it means to be a part of these ecosystems. And also a lot to teach about the indigenous food system that has existed here for a really long time. You know, there are some resources that have been really helpful for me. Sam Thayer's books, he, I think the most recent one's called Incredible Wild Edibles. Really amazing intro to foraging book with plants that are, you know, generally have habitat across most of North America. That's a great one for people around Montana. I highly recommend Tom Elpel's books. He has one called Foraging the Mountain West that is really great for this Southwest Montana region. On the ethics and philosophy side, I highly recommend everyone reads uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer to understand, you know, the reciprocal relationships between humans and plants. That's a really great book. Um, I've been reading it in little chunks, very deep, very heady and poetic, but beautifully written. As the seasons progress, what are you most excited about this year in the upcoming seasons in exploring? That's what I love about being a forager and, and kind of a hiker or whatever it is. There's always something to look forward to depending on the season. Here in Montana, we've just been having so much rain that the mushroom season just will not quit this spring. So I'm still in full uh, morel mushroom mode right now. You know, soon enough, there's going to be fruit. So June berries or um, service berries are also called will be out here in a month or so. And then soon enough, there will be huckleberries and choke cherries and plums and apples around Bozeman. And so I'll be working on, you know, processing and preserving those foods. We kind of have gone through our season for spring greens down here in the lowlands, but there's still so much great foraging to do as you get higher in elevation. You know, it just continues through the season. And uh, once everything starts going to seed, then I usually start digging some roots, so like biscuit roots. And, and then, you know, one of my favorite things I always mention on the plant walks is uh, when everything has gone to seed and you can start digging these roots, um, you can also go out and collect the seed and go ahead and plant it back in places, you know, good habitat for these native plants that may be struggling, you know. So I always make a note every season when I'm harvesting to, to give back to these plants by, you know, spreading their seed and helping them germinate. Once the rivers clear up, I'm certainly looking forward to catching some fish again and hunting season and all of that as well. 
if you pay attention to all these little cues and things, the magic that's happening all around us. It's just that we don't always see it because we might not be focusing on the right things or have awareness of it. So I think you bring a bit of that to light and really appreciate your insights and knowledge. I encourage everyone listening to think about the history of the land that they're on and the people who who really have a deep relationship to this land. Native people uh, are still, you know, working to reclaim their food systems across this continent and really across the world. And so do whatever you can to support those efforts. And through your relationships with these plants, I hope you can learn a bit more about your place in these ecosystems. And Jacob, where can people learn more about what you're doing in your programs and sign up for the next Plant Walks? So my website is ecologicalhuman.com. I'm also on Facebook with Ecological Human Project, if you search that. I'll be starting a PhD at Montana State in the fall, working with some really cool organizations there, one being Buffalo Nation's Food System Initiative. Keep an eye out for that work as well. We're growing out some ancestral foods around Bozeman and saving seed and doing a lot of good work to restore the indigenous food system of this region. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Until next time, happy trails.